It's Tuesday, November 21st, 2023, and this is Uranium Spotlight, your weekly podcast dedicated to delivering the latest news and events shaping the uranium fuel market and its critical role in the global energy landscape. Brought to you by PurePoint Uranium Group, trading on the TSX Venture and the OTCQB. PurePoint actively operates a portfolio of advanced uranium projects in the world's richest uranium district and has established partnerships with some of the largest uranium suppliers worldwide. While our passion for this subject is undeniable, it's essential to clarify that the information presented here is not investment advice. Instead, our goal is to offer an unbiased and comprehensive review of recent events that could impact uranium prices. And now your host, Chris Frostad. This week on Uranium Spotlight, we examine India's dramatic efforts to regain its historic nuclear standing and why this time it just might be different. We also see one Canadian explorer continue to develop deeper ties with some of that country's larger mining companies. Spot Uranium had a great week, closing on Friday at $77.25 U.S. per pound U308, up by $3.75. Then, just to make the point, it jumped an additional $3 yesterday on Monday to cross the $80 mark. Spot activity showcased significant movement, with the price rebounding early in the week. Sellers, cautious about competitive offers, gauged buyer determination across various sectors, including utilities, intermediaries, producers, and financial entities. December delivery garnered specific interests, especially in Coverdine, leading to premium pricing. While Coverdine led with higher prices, Cameco and Arano closely followed, with a reported transaction at $79 for January delivery. Bullish spot price trends were influenced by rising mid- and long-term demand, higher utility spot purchases, and ongoing financial investments. Sellers refrained from hitting bids, raising offers instead. Each new deal set a high price for the year, continuing an upward trend unless significant new spot supplies emerge. In the uranium term market, although no contract awards were reported, activity remained robust. U.S. and non-U.S. utilities expressed demand for deliveries spanning 2025 to 2035, with multiple requests for various uranium forms and delivery periods. Off-market negotiations and preparations to enter the mid- and longer-term market indicated sustained industry engagement. India was an early powerhouse in building and operating reactors, patterning their own early technologies on some of Canada's first commercial reactors. The country then decided, due to their regional competition and frequent confrontations with Pakistan, to embark on a program of building nuclear weapons. Achieving this goal led to them being excluded from the 1970 Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, meaning that other countries that were signatories to the treaty could not trade uranium or goods and services related to the nuclear industry with India until very recently. What this means for India currently is that while they still possess 22 operable reactors, most of them were built by Indian state-owned corporation Nuclear Power Corporation of India, or NPCIL, without outside help. Somewhat miraculously, India was able to fuel all of those reactors. Because of the Non-Proliferation Treaty, India had to develop its own independent nuclear fuel cycle, including uranium mining and exploration industries with very little of the actual resource to go on. Now, with India allowed to trade with other participants in the global nuclear industry, they can supply the reactors more easily. India is currently building 10 more reactors, both with outside help, such as from Russian state-owned corporation Rosatom, 
and using their pre-existing domestic industry. As well, because of India's shortage of domestic uranium, they're looking to developing reactors for commercial use that can be supplied with thorium fuel. India has large domestic reserves of thorium that could be used to power such reactors. However, no sufficient technological breakthroughs have occurred to make thorium-powered reactors a viable option for electricity generation. In addition to India's 22 operable and 10 under construction reactors, India also has plans for 12 new reactors and as many as 28 more, listed as approved in principle by the Indian government. Although its nuclear industry was shuttered for a period because of diplomatic setbacks, India's nuclear industry has now roared back to life as countries around the world again line up to participate in bringing this new powerhouse of industry to net zero. In the news this week, India has made plans to commission 20 new nuclear reactors by 2031, thereby tripling their installed nuclear capacity. As mentioned, 10 of these reactors are currently under construction, and the Indian government has granted administrative and financial sanction for the other 10 reactors that it plans to build by 2031. In addition to the projects approved in principle, these reactors will boost India's current fleet of reactors from the already sizable number of 22 to over 50 sometime after 2031. With these new reactors, India will become a true nuclear powerhouse, and the government's plans do not stop there. India's government is looking quite heavily into SMR technology. SMRs, or small modular reactors, are reactors that are designed to be built for less cost, use less land, and take less time to build. India has already taken 10% of their coal-powered fleet offline, and plans to take more offline in the coming decades. This means that putting a new SMR where those old coal plants were would be advantageous, as the new plant could use existing hookups to the grid of the old coal power plants. A representative of the Department of Energy has claimed that all of India's coal-fired generation can eventually be replaced by SMRs. The government also claims that all of this can also be done within two to three decades. This SMR plan could mean a blowout victory for India's nuclear power generation sector, as well as for its plans to reach net zero. India's power demand is set to multiply tenfold by 2050, with transport and industry going electric and the usual demand increases from population growth, power generation will have to increase to match. India's government realizes that nuclear power's baseload energy generation can help satiate some of this demand while cutting carbon emissions. India's government, despite its recent fervor over nuclear, has long promised grandiose goals for itself on nuclear generation and then, under pressure to deliver, has typically come up short. In 1960, for example, India's government promised that by 2000, India would have five times the installed capacity that it has currently. Then, in 1999, it promised that by 2020, it would have more than double the capacity it has now. Now it has promised that by 2050, it will have more than 62 times the current installed capacity. This has led some to doubt those claims. Maybe some people believe that India's government is overly optimistic about the future, or it's just making these claims for political gain and no other reason. Maybe they're right, but there are a few things that the Indian government is doing to change things up that might just mean that they can meet those goals. For this nuclear push, NPCIL, which has built most of India's reactors to date, no longer has to stand alone. The much larger National Thermal Power Corporation, or NTPC, which produces most of India's electricity, has entered into a joint venture with NPCIL to build reactors. Other joint ventures have also been developed between NPCIL, India Oil Corporation, and NALCO. 
Other joint ventures are planned with companies that produce SMRs. So, can India with SMRs and joint ventures and other financing options available outside of just the Indian government find a path to net zero? That remains to be seen, but what is clear is that the plans are there. Now we wait to see how they'll be executed. Point Uranium Group, Inc. has been actively engaged in strategic developments with three major mining companies in Saskatchewan, Canada. Yesterday, the company announced an option agreement with Foran Mining Corporation for the Denaire West project, located in east-central Saskatchewan. Foran has an option to acquire up to 100% interest in the Denaire West project, which neighbors Foran's McIlvenna Bay project, the largest undeveloped VHMS deposit in the province. The deal requires Foran to spend $6 million on the project to earn 80% and invest $350,000 in PurePoint through a non-brokered private placement. The agreement outlines a multi-stage option for Foran, whereby the remaining 20% can be purchased for $10 million and a 2% NSR. If Foran chooses not to acquire PurePoint's remaining interest, the companies will form a joint venture that provides PurePoint with a carried interest until pre-feasibility. Also yesterday, PurePoint announced the approval of the exploration program for the Hook Lake Project, a joint venture with Cameco Corporation and Arano Canada, Inc. The winter drilling program, scheduled to begin in January 2024, aims to follow up on promising uranium intercepts from the previous season, particularly in the Carter Corridor. Hole CRT-2305 returned high levels of uranium and a significant boron halo. The program includes approximately 2,500 meters of diamond drilling across five holes. Finally, this morning, PurePoint disclosed plans for the 2024 exploration program at the Smart Lake Joint Venture Project, jointly owned by Cameco Corporation. The program, scheduled for Q1 2024, will involve transient electromagnetic surveys targeting the Grooms Lake conductor. The Smart Lake Project, located west-northwest of the Hook Lake Project, has shown potential for uranium mineralization with priority target areas yet to be drill tested. Overall, PurePoint's recent activities demonstrate a focused approach to advancing its uranium projects, forming strategic partnerships, securing investments, and conducting targeted exploration programs to capitalize on the rising market sentiment around uranium. These initiatives underscore the company's commitment to exploring and developing high-quality uranium assets in key regions of Canada's Athabasca Basin. And that wraps up your Uranium Spotlight coverage for this week. For more news and events from the world of uranium, please tune in next week to Uranium Spotlight. You've been listening to Uranium Spotlight, your weekly podcast dedicated to delivering the latest news and events shaping the uranium fuel market and its critical role in the global energy landscape. Brought to you by PurePoint Uranium Group, advancing its position as the premier uranium explorer in the world's richest uranium district. Join us again next week for Uranium Spotlight.